Next, we're talking about episode 24, uh, carbon, GFO, and filter media for a clean, stable reef tank. So we're talking all of those uh, reactors and things that you put in your tank to keep it clean, crystal clear water, phosphates down, the whole nine. Uh, and we have a really simple, like, six-word core, uh, five-word core belief. You know, we were kind of just trying to explain what these things we did in 2015. And today, I'm just going to be a little, we all know bit, more, what it does, little right? bit more blunt. Yeah? yeah. So carbon for sure. Yes. GFO sometimes. That's the go. core belief. That's carbon it. for sure. GFO sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, right. what, so what, matters, matters what matters most about carbon, GFO, and filter media these days is uh, I want crystal clear water. I don't want yellow. And you can... Uh, if you, especially some of the tanks here, uh, we walk around and if the lights are off or the light shining through the big window from the uh, outside in and you catch it, you catch the tank just right, it's completely yellow all the way through. Mm -hmm. Nasty looking. So yellow, a few reasons. One, it will uh, filter the color uh, out, out of the tank. So your corals will not look as nice in yellow water. And you may not even know your water's yellow. Uh, easiest way to do it is just turn the lights off. And if you look through the water, it looks yellow. It, it should be either crystal clear or have a green kind of tinge to it. Because of the glass. Because of the glass. Yeah. Depending on uh, the low quality iron. of glass mm -hmm. you have. But it should be crystal clear for the most part. If it looks yellow, it's because the water is yellow. Uh, simple, simple as that. So yeah. this is the reasons I care. A, the yellow filters out the blue and different colors I'm looking at the tank, so it doesn't look as good. Mm -hmm. uh, a, I do see the tank <laughs> when it's off, and now that I know what yellow is, I just know it feels dirty. Yeah, right? yeah. And B, the yellow pigment is pulling out uh, uh, par from the water. You know, I, I think your recent test had it at what, like 15%? Uh, in, in a controlled environment, it was like 10 to 15%. In the actual tanks, it was negligible. There's still a lot to test because I didn't have any change in the tanks. So oh, was, there was some, uh, we're going to try a few different more tests to like clarify some answers on that one. But your initial test uh, lost par. My initial test in a controlled white and uh, white uh, acrylic environment lost a par. Uh, but you know, we'll find out if the rest is true in the actual tank. In an but. actual tank, I'm excited <clears throat> to explore that. But yeah, three things is uh, A, I don't want it to look dirty. B, uh, I don't want to lose any par. And C, I just know the water's dirty when it's yellow. And uh, easiest way to know is when the lights are off. And so And it stinks. Carbon. We'll just get rid of it, by the way. Uh, you run some carbon in the tank, uh, and especially in a reactor where you actually mm -hmm. have to force the water through it, yeah. uh, it will polish the water up. And the reason that you know it, and like this is a fun experiment to do at home, is pour the water in the bucket and sit it next to that new fresh water. Uh, like when you're doing a water change, you know, pull five gallons out, put it next to your new fresh water. One of them is crystal blue yeah. in the bucket. Yeah. And one of them is dirty yellow yeah. uh, or a version of that. And then if you run carbon through it, you'll actually see that it processes all the water, cleans it up, and it is now indistinguishable from the brand new water. It's crystal blue. And, you know, five gallon is really the bucket that you want to use on this one because it's about the depth of the tank front to back. So when you're looking through it, you can actually see the yellow. Because you're looking you get through a, about a foot and a half yeah, of water. Because if you get like a yellow, little white container or something like that, you might not be able to see it as easily. Oh, you wouldn't be able to see it through like a cup of water, a couple of inches. Yeah. But like when I'm looking through my tank, I'm looking through probably 18 to 24 inches of water mm -hmm. and the tints just get stronger and 
stronger. And that's why when you look through the side of the tank too, I'm looking through four feet of water. Really uh, looks yellow. Really looks yellow that way. <laughs> uh, uh, and especially because the back's usually black, it's kind of hard to see sometimes. And, but if you look through the side, you'll definitely see it. But in the yeah. white bucket, it's probably a foot and a half to two feet deep. Uh, you'll see it for sure. 100%. Uh, so everybody wants crystal clear water. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Uh, it's just sometimes you just don't know what you got. Once you do, it's kind of hard to not want to fix it, especially if the solution is three bucks in carbon. <laughs> uh, and three bucks once a month, who cares? Yep. Uh, the next, uh, what matters most, though, is also kind of closely related to this. You may not know. Yeah. Uh, if your water's yellow, there's a probably a chance or likelihood that you also smell your reef tank. So odors and just the smell of a reef tank, whether it's the, orga it's the organics in the water, your skimmer, or this other things, but uh, carbon can help with odor. So one of the things that matters most, I don't want to have odor, uh, odor from my tank at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't want it, it, often they have kind of a green smell, like a algae yeah, type smell, you know, like. Definitely walk it, when you walk into the studio here where there's big, like six, five or six big tanks, mm -hmm. it smells. No, you can, you can, there, it, like, stink isn't the right word. No. But, like, I know there's you know there's an aquarium in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, three bucks of carbon? Uh, well, no. And and so here's the piece is, like, for most of us who've been living with these tanks, we don't even know anymore. Uh, but uh, when you have guests and stuff over your house, do you want them, like, the first thing they do when they walk in the room? Something smells yeah. like... Uh, no, I don't want that ever. <laughs> uh, and like, it'd be different if I had to put an elaborate system in to prevent it. But if it's mm. three bucks in carbon, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and three bucks in carbon, like it, it could be, it will work best if you're pumping water through a reactor. Yeah. But it could be literally just taking a bag of the carbon and put it in a high flow area, like in the baffles or your sump or mm -hmm. something. And uh, boom, you no longer have to worry about this. Uh, even better, that uh, that little BRS mini reactor solves mm -hmm. a lot of people's problems. Like you don't need, you don't necessarily need that big giant ten inch one. That little uh, five inch uh, uh, BRS one holds a, almost. Uh, it's like a cup and a half, or maybe a cup and three quarters, which solves a large amount of uh, volumes of tanks. The reason I like that little one is like often, you know, you're gonna mount it to the bigger ones to the the cabinet, and then you're gonna like. You know, have it uh, go down in there with a pump yeah. and all that stuff. With a little guy, you can actually just throw the pump right on the side of it and the exit right down there. It's only this tall and just set it right down in the water and never even know it's there. Set it in an open chamber. You want to clean it, you just like unplug the thing and take the whole thing. Pull it out. You flip, the, flip both of the tubes up and it doesn't spill while you're walking. Clean. Really easy. I love easy. the mini. I love the mini. Uh, if you don't want to unplug it, you can just, just push the connect fittings. You can just pull the pump off. Yeah. I'd, Easy peasy. Uh, that little guy is what I would recommend for a vast majority of people. Doesn't tumble. Little cartridge, really mm -hmm. easy to manage. 100%. Uh, also, what matters most when it comes to carbon, GFO and filter media is carbon is the first responder with uh, suspected toxins, uh, whether it be coral warfare, you did a whole bunch of trimming, uh, something got into the tank, you know, aerosols and cleansers in the air or some uh, one of your family members or children might have got a little something in the tank. You have stuff on your hands that you didn't rinse off before you put your tank in. Uh, carbon can be one of the first responders there to get that thing out of the system. I'd say if I look at my tank and it looks like garbage, uh, and I suspect a toxin, the first thing I'll do before anything else is change out the carbon. Because yeah. 
it could remove a vast, it's like an entire swath of potential contaminants that go into the tank. Mm. Uh, and uh, like, if it feels better, I'd probably stop right there. Three bucks in carbon, solve my problem. Yeah, which is uh, another reason why like, this is, it's almost like having a first aid kit on hand when you're uh, around your house or when you're like, out camping or outdoors, like have carbon on hand in case something gets in the tank. Cause the chances that something gets in the tank are uh, very likely. Eventually, for yeah. sure. Uh, so I would say, like, it's it's solved it for me so many times over the years. Like, something just doesn't look good. Change the carbon and, and you know, tomorrow everything looks fine. Good to go. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not talking about, like, a single coral, because who knows what happened to a single coral. But if, like, all of a sudden eight corals don't look good, mm. uh, something's... You know, either the chemistry's wrong, there's a pollutant in the tank, there's, like, a whole variety of different things. Uh, you know, I guess if you're asking me in this series, like I'd probably check the, you know, salinity, right, like, right. alkalinity, all that kind yeah, of there's stuff. There's some too. big ones that you check. Uh, but like from a perspective of a, you know, concern about a potential pollutant, an unknown one, you know, it could have been in my hand. Somebody could have mm. sprayed something near the tank. Who knows? Uh, carbon, knee jerk. Yeah, uh, having it around, even if you don't care about the smell, even if you don't care about the yellow water, having it around just for that purpose. Now, I will say. You could probably go to a fish store and go buy it uh, if you need it in that case, because you know the fish store is always available. But uh, not if it's you know 8 p.m. on Sunday night, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, it's such a cheap thing to have <clears throat> around and 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 good. So uh, next one. Uh, what also matters most is that GFO. We're talking about GFO now. GFO is very useful at fighting algae. It does a really good job uh, because it attacks phosphates, a big source of fuel for algae. Open and honest, I don't know why GFO and carbon, just because they're both filter medias, get consumed into they're the, always into the same conversation. <laughs> it's usually because they're probably they're used together. Yeah, you know, you, know, you can use... mix them together in a reactor, and uh, why, yeah. why not talk about same them equipment? But got to they do totally different things. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Okay, so GFO uh, is very very useful at fighting algae, <clears> right? <throat> so it, it's it's better actually that at preventing algae from ever being a problem in the tank than it is at, at trying to suck out all the phosphate and fight an existing algae problem. Mm. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where an ounce of prevention is always worth a pound of cure. Right, right, right. right. Uh, but uh, I, I have used it, I've, I've seen it in so many instances, like you can tell when the GFO is depleted, not because the phosphates are rising, but because the algae grows faster. <laughs> it's because you, like, huh, I was only cleaning the glass every uh, week or so, and now I'm cleaning every three days. GFO, yep. it's like its own sign. Yeah, it you is, know? 100%. Uh, and the way it does it is uh, uh, phosphate and or, uh, algae in the tank requires a source of phosphorus and nitrogen to grow. If we limit the phosphate all the way down to close to zero, it just doesn't grow as fast. If it's abundant, it will grow abundantly. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, thinking about that, I will tell you there's some downsides to this uh, in our hard lessons that we'll share as well, but there's no question GFO is really, really good at preventing algae outbreaks in the tank, is a useful tool at fighting them, but not as good. Yeah, 100%. Uh, also what matters most, periodic GFO may be the solution to below 0.1 phosphate, but watch out for higher nitrates. Yeah, so here's the, the problem is like, these things are like, when I add food, I, it's like, I'm gonna make this up because it's kind of close to this, but it, every food is a little different. It's about 10 to one ratio or so of nitrogen to phosphorus is being added to the tank. Right. You know, like, 
So if I had one part per million nitrate added to the tank, I might have a 0.1 phosphate, mm -hmm. which both those numbers are okay. Now, uh, if I though chose to have uh, 20 parts per million nitrate, well then the phosphate- The 10 to one ratio there is- I'd have two parts per million phosphate, which is not okay, <laughs> right? No. Okay, and why not okay? One, you're going to grow algae like nobody's business mm. uh, unless it's a super duper established tank and coralline's covering everything, yeah. tons of tons of predators, tang yeah, gang. Corals are actually sucking yeah. up more than the GFO would be. Yeah, so in that case, I don't know. But the corals are definitely going to grow fast, slower, because the phosphate poisons the surface. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, Jen told me here that phosphate, uh, high phosphate, number one cause of issues for her with uh, euphilia dropping heads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I've never heard that before, but the, it's the people that do this for a living that I often trust the most. Yeah, they uh, have connected like, those dots multiple times. Well, yeah, because they're like, like the amount of euphilia I've owned is in the hundreds. Uh, the amount of euphilia that she's touched is in the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I, I think I would, I'd listen to that piece. Mm. And, and it's kind of the opposite of what people say though, of like dirty tanks or better tanks for LPS. Like, that's just, I, I don't believe that uh, <laughs> at all. You know, dirty tanks just synonymous with uncared for. Yeah. A lot of the deep waters that like a lot of euphilia comes from, uh, they're, they're not, not heavily polluted, yeah, uh, not rich in nitrogen and phosphorus. Are there little areas somewhere? Sure, but most of them, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I think it's interesting. So in this case, periodic GFO, GFO use might be the solution that if you really don't care about nitrate that much and you're letting it go up to five parts per million, maybe you're going to let 10, maybe you're going to let 20, mm. but you actually want to keep the phosphate below 0.1, GFO, lanthium chloride, those types of tools might be the best solution for when you really care about one but don't care about the other. Hmm. Yep. Um, what matters most is mixing the two versus tumbling instead of tumbling. I, half a lot of time, uh, you know, I I used to run heavily heavy carbon, ten inch canisters of carbon, two and a half cups, or I'm sorry, GFO, two and a half cups of GFO. Make sure that thing is tumbling. I want zero phosphate, zero nitrates. That was back on the day uh, when that was the goal was to attack all of them down to zero and keep a completely sterile tank so nothing algae looking uh, ever grows. Um, but now you know you get into using GFO as a like goes back to our core belief carbon for sure GFO sometimes uh, with that sometimes mentality uh, don't need as much and actually just mix the two together put some uh, you know what is it one third to two th one third GFO to two thirds carbon or even a little less ratio than that. Uh, better than having two reactors and tumbling. So there's, I guess there's a couple other pieces to this. Is like even you're tumbling it and you're running the reactor, there's no question that's the most efficient method. You know, mm. you're keeping all of it moving, surface area, all the stuff. But, and you're pumping water directly through it. Uh, but like, I don't really need to strip it out. Especially like if I'm, if I've been maintaining this stuff generally well, like I don't want to let it rise and then strip it out, let it rise and strip it out. That's the only reason I like really need that level of efficiency is if I want to strip it out. Yeah. If I just kind of want to like, you know, continually remove some of the phosphate from the matrix, uh, mix it in with the carbon, 
you know, forget tumbling it. Tumbling's only so that the little like pieces don't yeah. rust together essentially yeah. Yeah. and form a big block in your reactor. But if you separate those pieces with the carbon, you don't have that problem. <laughs> uh, is it the most efficient way to do it? No, but I may not actually need the most efficient way. Just a little bit of bump uh, help with my, my phosphate levels. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. I don't think that I have tumbled GFO for 10 years. Oh. I've always been mixing it with my carbon. Like, I, I don't think I've ever I've tumbled it in as long as I can almost remember now. I'm... 10 years is a strong word. Maybe it's only six. I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's been a long time since I got underneath there and I was tinkering with it, trying right to figure flow. out how to you know, get it to, to tumble. Which right also mode. changes over time as it gets biofouled and filmed and everything like that. Then you got to go readjust and add. Yeah. Is it better? Sure. Uh, should I just, do I prefer to move it, mix it with the carbon? 100%. <laughs> uh, all right. So in that spirit, carbon GFO filter media, clean, stable reef tank, hard lessons. Uh, this one's kind of been mm. interesting because over the years, you've heard people say that uh, carbon may cause HLLE, head lateral line. Uh, uh, e. I don't know. Oh, we've always e called it disease. Disease. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, and yeah. HLLE, uh, so it might cause uh, the uh, head and lateral line disease. Uh, somebody tell me what the E is. Now. <laughs> it will. Uh, yeah, so you know, I've Erosion seen the experiments where that has happened, you know, uh, like they're pretty old, uh, but like they exist. The pre the reason like, like for me is like, I've been using it here, oh, erosion, erosion, erosion. Yeah. had, had a lateral Dave. line erosion, thank you. Uh, so the reason I've been using it here, or I, we never really talk about it here is because we use carbon on, I don't know, man, 60 tanks here, nobody has any problems with head lateral line erosion. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it's been decades and like, I, I all these tanks have tangs in them, dude, all, yeah. all, all of them. So, and various degrees of all the types of tangs as well. So, so that's just, it's not just running carbon. You start to think about, well, so if it's carbon related, what's the difference between the carbon in the systems that are seeing the HLLE versus the carbon in the systems that aren't? Because uh, they may be the same um, as far as like the same species and whatnot, but one's having one problem, one's not having, uh, one's uh, having the other problem. Uh, dust is could very well be the, the, the culprit. dusty finds, yeah. Uh, like not rinsing it out or using uh, carbon that is just like the lignite, the bituminous of the world's very, very dusty, soft carbons. Some of them, yeah. Uh, so here, here's the thing is like, if you go into a room and you say, all right, how many of the thousand people in the room have had a, a problem like this? And, you know, 10 raise their hand. Well, then it's just some weird anomaly. If 100... A raise your hand, but 900 don't. It's what's different about that 900, yeah. that 100 there, yeah. right? Like, what are they doing different? And the only thing I can tell you here is that we use here because it's what we use the is the ROX carbon, mm. which is super duper hard. It's really easy to run, rinse, doesn't have the dust. And it's a pharmaceutical grade intermediary, meaning that like it strips out, uh, it's designed specifically to desert, to remove contaminants from water for pharmaceuticals. A lot of the other carbons Not release are, anything into the water. A lot of the other carbons are designed for air, aren't they? Not. They're designed for air. They're also not designed for like, you know, applications that are like, you know, critical to organisms health per right. se, you mm. know, so. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I will say that hard lesson is I could think that it's possible that this is actually true. Uh, 
it hasn't ever been true here in decades of 60s and 10, I don't know, even the, the more number of sheer volume tanks, I can't mm -hmm. remember. So why is that? And my guess is that it's probably the group of people that are experiencing this are using, using super soft carbon, not rinsing it well, uh, and getting lots of dusty fines, or they're using poor grade carbon, and the poor grade carbon has some kind of contaminant in it that is causing the problem. Mm. I don't know, uh, but hard lesson. I, I think that if you were ever to run into that problem, I, and you were using, you know, poor grade carbon, I'd switch it out right away, uh, for sure. Um, uh, you can take this next one here. Okay, so this is the same spirit. Actually, is hard lessons is carbon could add stuff as well as remove. So carbon's obviously designed to soak up all the contaminants from the water. Right. Yep. Uh, but where it know, comes from, is that what? It, yeah. Yeah. The, it, it's wood, it's peat moss, it's coconut shells, coconut shells, it's bituminous coal, it's mm. uh, all kinds of different things that come out of the ground or ha broken up. Naturally have impurities. Yeah, and they all have been cleaned in different ways. Some of them use like phosphoric acid. Yeah, We've never yeah. used that uh, in the reefing industry. Right, right, right. Uh, some of them are, you know, cleaned with steam. Some of them are cleaned with hydrochloric acid, which is clean unless it's coming from a waste source of hydrochloric acid. <laughs> so, like all of this stuff, it, it really carbon. can affect it. Like we've seen it, man. Like you can run a, a magnet over some of the cheaper carbons and it picks the carbon up. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, like there's metal in there because the stuff is mined out of the ground. In fact. <laughs> Some of them we actually put into a microwave and you could watch it spark uh, because there's metal in there's it. metals in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, don't do that, by the way. It's probably super dangerous. Uh, but uh, <laughs> on our front, like that was one of the things we wondered, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as goofy as that sounds. Uh, yeah, but like know that the quality of the carbon you use uh, certainly matters and that it comes out of the ground is what it is, yeah. uh, or a peat, or a tree, or a coconut, or whatever. Might be some phosphates. It's the amount of care that goes into it. Yeah, there was that conversation of carbon ed and phosphates for a while, but minuscule. Yeah, minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, another piece is n under no circumstances Don't ever do this. Don't tumble carbon. Uh, I mean, I think every single episode, if you go back to any any BRS to TV, BRS TV investigates episode uh, through the years. If it's about carbon, it always comes out of the of our mouths. Do not tumble it. Do not put it in your filter socks and let to your uh, water drain over the top of it because it's moving around. Do not put it in your reactor and let it tumble. If you mix GFO with your carbon, do not uh, 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 you don't need to tumble it even though your GFO is in there. Don't tumble the carbon. This is where the dusty fines come from. It will turn to dust uh, if you do any of those things. And, one of the ones that uh, like is a pet peeve of mine is, is putting that carbon into the filter sock where the water flows over and rushes onto it and turns it over. Mm. I don't know why that's a common practice, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, uh, it's even from, even if you have an immediate bag and put it in your filter sock, there's like some air pockets that could probably get in there and still tumble it. But that's a fair point though. Like if you were to get it into a tight little ball in the media and like bag. tie it in really good into that media bag so it absolutely couldn't tumble, maybe you could put it in your filter sock. But, but still but we're pounding it. In the in the uh, here in a couple episodes, we're gonna start talking about filter socks and filter fleece rollers and you should be changing your filter socks every three days. So yeah, how right. are you gonna keep the carbon in there all the time? Well, but actually so 
even though I just said you could do that, but why? Yeah. Just put it in the other high flow area of the tank, like baffles. You know, put or... it in between the baffles. And when I say put it in the baffles, make sure there's ample size water that could go around it as well. You're not clogging the baffles. But like if you put it in between the baffles, water's gonna flow through the carbon mm. and, and do it just as good without being pounded and turned into uh, dust. So yeah. Anything that you think they would make the little granules rub up against each other, they're just going to grind each other to dust. Avoid it. Avoid it. Avoid sure. it like the plague. All right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we bring that home. So, because, you know, here's the problem is I see it still. I still see it in videos and stuff. Or like, dump some carbon in my face. Somebody sock. told me I should dump, I should tumble my carbon because it looks cool or something. And then, and then like the whole tank sometimes can turn. I've seen people add carbon to the mm -hmm. overflows because uh, somebody gave them that advice and their overflows happen to turn over pretty rapidly. And then the whole tank just gets covered in black. Ooh, that can't like, be good. Yeah. Okay, For it wasn't the carbon that, that did that, dude. It was semi, the application of it. Semi-permeous pores on the corals, the mouths of the corals, the fish, the gills, the eyes, the... Ah, dusty fines cannot be good for anything. They're breathing that water. So if we create all those dusty fines and flew it up in here, I would not want to breathe this. No. No. Yeah, <laughs> so they're breathing Well, that's, a, you know, kind of, that might stem from a problem of talking about carbon and GFO in the same uh, breath every time they're mentioned is because GFO, you, you tumble and you want to tumble it and carbon, you don't. Yeah, um, there you go. All right, next one. Uh, hard lesson learned, absolute, zero phosphate, but high nitrate may cause issues it's still an open dialogue there's a lot of uh you know a lot of speculation a lot of anecdotal you know, uh, experiences with the uh pegged zero or stripped zero phosphates high nitrates or these imbalances between the phosphates and nitrates that might uh, lead to something like dinos taking over, bacterials like cyanos, or so these different uh, types of things taking over uh, where they thrive in those environments. So uh, at all costs, uh, absolute zero phosphate and high nitrates is not a goal to shoot for. Yeah. If you had to ask me, I, 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 I guess I tend to believe that this is true yeah. in some fashion. I, it's, it's hard to really you know, pinpoint because most of it's just plausible theory at this yeah. point, yeah. right? But there are lots of organisms in the ocean and there are other areas where if either nitrogen or phosphorus is uh, scarce, but the other one is in ample supply, certain organisms will thrive in that environment mm. and others won't. Mm -hmm. So it only goes to uh, you know help assume that in the tank that that would probably be true as well. Like if total zero bottomed out nitrate or phosphate from GFO and tons of nitrate might actually, you know, be ideal for some organisms in the tank and probably the things that are able to scavenge. Undesirable the other ones, yeah. Undesirable yeah. organisms in the most part. The only problem is, is like, you know, you can, it sounds plausible, you know, I get it, but does it really apply to dinos? Does it really <clears throat> apply to the the species of dinos that you are happening to run into? Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Is it... It's really easy to take that information and then just like blanket apply it to everything, yeah. you know, and that certainly isn't true. So I just would say that if you have that really out of whack is zero and high and the other one, don't be surprised if that causes you problems. And we definitely have seen people who have fixed that problem and fixed the problem in the tank. So I would use it as a tool to say, if I run into that, Here's one of the steps that I should go after. Well, that's a, the end of the, or the second sentence in this hard lesson is that it's still an open dialogue. 
There's mm -hmm. still a lot to be learned and tested and learned and tested some more to actually see what this causes in our tanks. So this is something we could totally do in BRS Investigates mm -hmm. is like, you know, start a hey, sterile new tank know. where there isn't a lot of organisms <laughs> competing with each other and the thing that has the most resources will almost certainly win. And we could just start them. You know, one with high nitrate and phosphate, one with zero, zero, one with uh, high phosphate but low uh, uh, nitrate and Opposite, the inverse. Yeah. And then when I say one, I usually mean two of each yeah. so we can see re replicates of the, the, the experiment. But uh, I mean, I would love to do that. I, mm. I, I don't know how helpful that will be to people in the end, but like what will come out of, you know, a controlled environment to experiment like that? What, would you expect to see? I don't. I'm. I think every time we talk about testing things like that, I start thinking about logistics of how the tests will be conducted. Like you're going to have to separate them so that they're not contaminating each other yeah. when they're coming up and skewing the results and this and that. But it would be really interesting to see if there was a uh, definite dinos and definite not dinos, or definite cyano, de definite not, or when, some weird uh, algaes or something versus none. When the results are repeatable, oh, yeah, yeah. that's when they're the most believable. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, be wary of uh, zero, high, high, or high, zero, or zero, zero. And I'm not as afraid of zero, zero uh, in the tank from a perspective of as it will help pest down, as long as I'm finding ways to give a source of nitrogen yes. and phosphorus yeah. to both the fish and the corals, mm -hmm. often being the particulate foods, uh, mm -hmm. being amino acids, being you know other methods of making sure Nutrition. there's adequate nitrogen and phosphorus in the tank, kind of like the ocean. The ocean is pretty close to zero, zero. It's the fact Tons. that there's so much prey in the water mm -hmm. for it to catch. Tons of available nitrogen and phosphorus. Yeah, it's in a, just in a different form, which is an organic form that captures it. Mm. So, uh, mm. all right, another hard lesson is uh, it takes a lot more GFO to get the levels down than it does to keep it there. So once in a while you run into somebody like, I don't know, I'm using so much GFO and I can't get the levels down. Well, uh, if you fed so much that you landed yourself one day at 20 parts per million nitrate <laughs> and two parts per million phosphate, it's going to take a lot of GFO to get it back down. Yeah. Right? yeah, uh, yeah. Don't be surprised. It's going to take different than the amount it take to keep there. So. Let's imagine just for a second that uh, I kind of let my phosphates get uncontrolled for the last year mm. and all of a sudden I find them at two parts per million, which is some insane level and I need to get it down. Well, that's the result of 12 months of uh, phosphate you know, problems. Yeah. So the amount of GFO that it takes to keep it down based on the amount of food I put in uh, will be 12 times that to get it down to begin with. Yeah. You know, so if it takes a half a cup of GFO to be able to uh, get the GF or the keep the phosphate levels down, you know, consistently, it will take for it to cover that for a year. It'll take 12 times that. It'll take six cups, which a reactor <laughs> doesn't even hold. Right. Right. Uh, and you probably don't want to strip it out that fast either. Right. My personal opinion is when you run into issues like this, uh, <laughs> instead of just piling GFO and more GFO and more GFO, the reality is is if the GF or the phosphate that's high, you probably have, it's probably an artifact of a variety of maintenance issues. The nitrates are probably skyrocketed mm -hmm. as well. So just water change it out. Do a handful of 30% water changes until it gets reasonably low and then use the GFO to maintain that new level. 
don't try to just throw chemicals at the tank to solve all the problems. Mm. Sometimes you just manually need to like get it out of the tank. Oh, and then by the time you get it down to the manageable levels, you're probably at an amount of GFO that you just mix with your carbon and you don't need like a separate reactor. Yep. And that's just enough to keep it where you want it. Very mm. true. Uh, next hard lesson learned is consider water changes for the initial reduction. You kind of <laughs> hit, you just hit on that. Uh, but that is, uh, uh, instead of burning through GFO, because GFO is extremely effective at pulling out phosphates. I mean, we're talking like, like this, <laughs> not instantly, but I mean, if I'm, if I put a two cups of GFO and to attack a two part per million, uh, uh, phosphate problem, I'll probably see that gone in very rapidly. Um. I'm gonna double down on this if you have really high nitrates and like if you have really high nitrates and really high phosphates, it's an <coughs> overall pulse on the fact that the tank is just generally polluted. Mm -hmm. uh, like that's the true of a tank, it's true of the ocean. If you went to an ocean and you told any marine biologist that it was filled with nitrogen and phosphorus, they would tell you that water is polluted. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's the same thing in your tank. So if you're there, man, don't just try to solve the phosphate issue. Uh, do it intelligently. Solve all the issues. Water changes, a few 30% ones a few days apart from each other will get you there. Then use the tools to help keep the water not polluted. Mm. And then regulate, find out why it's... Uh rising so fast uh, maybe regulate a little, little feeding or upgrade upgrade your filtration approaches yeah so that's what we've said in the past actually which is uh, if your nitrates and phosphates are rising it's because of one two one of two things mm. uh, either your filtration isn't uh, good enough to keep up with your food or you're dumping too much food in end of story yeah uh, that's and the, the answer, only reason and the answer is and the answer isn't uh, well, I'm going to stop feeding you so you stop using the toilet too much. Mm -hmm. so yeah, if your problem is a dirty bathroom, it doesn't mean starve your family is the solution. <laughs> yes, that's a, that was a funny one we shared uh, the other yep. day. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, really think that you can solve either one. Is you can up your filtration game and it actually solves. But the only problem will be is if you just like decide that I don't actually want to try to peg nitrate at one and phosphate at point one, but I do want to keep phosphate point below point one, but I don't really care about nitrate as much. Well, it's going to be really hard to do. So allow maybe the nitrate to rise a little bit and then use a tool to keep the phosphate down. Mm -hmm. You see them do it at WWC. They're using the lanthium chloride. You can use it here with GFO or lanthium chloride. Pick your pleasure. Yep. All right. What's next?